Have you been interested in trying the new cutting edge technology of exogenous ketones, but didn't know where to get started? Let me introduce you to Perfect Keto. Visit perfectketo.com slash Jimmy and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto was created by a functional medicine clinician who developed this unique formula for maximum efficacy. It's great tasting and the most affordable exogenous ketone supplement you can find that raises blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimolar to help increase mental focus, boost your energy, and commence fat burning. It does not contain any soy, dairy, gluten, artificial sweeteners, binding agents, or anything that doesn't directly improve your health. The synergistic power of a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat, ketogenic diet with Perfect Keto Exogenous Ketones will have your body running optimally. Perfect Keto is available in delicious chocolate sea salt and peaches and cream flavors. Each serving comes with 11.38 grams of high-quality beta-hydroxybutyrate for maximum ketone boosting while adding in magnesium, potassium, cocoa, stevia, and vitamin C for extra micronutrition. Again, try Perfect Keto for yourself at Perfect perfectketo.com slash Jimmy and be sure to use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto. They're back and better than ever at JimmyLovesFBomb.com. They are the F-Bomb company. Fat is smart fuel. They have made some incredible products for the ketogenic community, and they make keto easier. They have products that include coconut oil, macadamia nut oil, house blend, MCT oil, olive oil, avocado oil, macadamia nut butter with sea salt, macadamia nut butter without salt, coconut butter, macadamia nut butter blend. They also have salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. These are all available to you now at jimmylovesfbomb.com. And if you head on over there now and you use the coupon code jimmylovesfbomb, they'll give you 10% off of your first order. jimmylovesfbomb.com. You are listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc, featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and Surprise Arizona family physician Dr. Adam Nally. They are here answering the most pressing questions about a low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet. Visit our website, ketotalk.com. And now, it's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Here's Jimmy and Adam. Hey, hey, guys, we're back here on episode 71 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Visit our website. It's ketotalk.com. And we also have a great Facebook page where you can interact with your fellow ketonians at ketotalkfb.com. And, Doc, we are up to 15,000 members there now. Can you believe that? Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. 15,000 people on Facebook. That's That's impressive. So what's up? How you doing? I am well. How are you? And hello, all you Ketonians out there. Oh, yeah, I you threw you off your that. game today. I you threw to me go, off my game. Today, my good buddy, my pal, he is Dr. Adam Nally. What's up, Adam? Well, hello, Jimmy, <laughs> and hello, all you Ketonians out there. I was waiting for it. It, wasn't, it didn't come. What happened? I messed you up <laughs> today, but that was my fault. It's all good, man. <laughs> That's all right. We'll play it by ear. Hey, I wanted to let the Ketonians know, in case you hadn't heard, um, I do a Friday podcast called Fasting Talk, which is kind of a companion piece to this here podcast uh, that talked all about fasting. Well, uh, we've decided to end that show. Uh, Dr. Fung and Megan Ramos uh, are going to start their own IDM fasting podcast. And so, uh, so anyway, we're going to start talking about some fasting questions here. So I thought, you know what? The doc has a different view on fasting than Dr. Fung does. So you want to share what your position is on fasting so that when people write to us, they kind of know where you're coming from? Well, I think we've briefly touched on it before, but yeah, the, I mean, the, I, I use fasting really for, for two, two components. Number one, um, I've been fasting all my life from a religious perspective. And so when people started talking about fasting, um, the definition of fasting from my perspective is literally no food or water for 18 to 24 hours. And so, so I was 
way thrown off my game when all of a sudden, you know, I started hearing all these people talk about, I'm fasting for, you know, three weeks or, or 40, 14 days. I'm going, whoa, that's, uh, that, that's impressive. So having the definition uh, set a little differently is one of those perspectives. I know from both personal experience and from, from uh, literature talking about true fasting where you're literally not taking in anything by mouth, no food or water, um, that type of fasting actually plays a role uh, in the short term when you're doing it anywhere from you know 12 to, to 24 hours in allowing for the liver to cleanse itself and allowing for the colon to cleanse itself. It, it's, it's a natural way that, that people do that. From a religious perspective, I do it every month. It's a monthly thing that I do. Um, and and it's, it's tied to uh, religious uh, observance and, and some ceremonial component to that. And that's how I interpret fasting. Now, is fasting a bad thing? Not at all. Um, but the one thing that we do see is that depending on what the, you define your fast as, if you're going prolonged periods with no food and water – after a period of 18 to 24 hours, it actually becomes starvation in some people. And it, you can go longer for other, some, but others not, not quite. And so it really com, comes down to how you define the fast. And so when a lot of people ask questions, one thing I would ask is define your fast to us so we know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and number two, um, you know, what's, what's the reason or the benefit you're looking for that component with? Because uh, you, it can be done a number of different ways. And, and I, I come from a perspective that's a little more conservative in that fasting is, is wonderful, but there should be a specific reason for it. Right. And you, sh- and you can obtain those benefits a number of ways. Fasting is one of those that's included in. So it's kind of inter- a little different take, but that's kind of a basic definition. And what you describe as fasting with no food or water, that's actually called dry fasting. And I know Dr. Fung was never a fan of dry fasting per se for the purposes of health. Now, for your spiritual reasons, I understand uh, why you do that. Um, but anyway, it'll be interesting uh, if we get some of those questions from time to time from people because fasting really does go hand in hand with a ketogenic diet because one of the beautiful things about satiety that happens from being keto is you just don't want to eat as often. We get a lot of questions about that. You know, I'm not really that hungry, so how do I get in enough calories and blah, blah, blah. So we get a lot of those kind of questions coming in. Yeah, and and the the definition that you and, and Dr. Fung had defined as fasting is actually something that occurs really naturally with ketosis, and yes. so and and so it, that becomes a, a whole different question, a whole different ballgame that we talk about. Um, but then there there are truly legitimate questions and legitimate things to ask about that because a lot of people get freaked out if they're going, well, I went eighteen hours and I didn't eat. Am I going to die? No, you're not. You, you, that's actually one of the benefits of ketosis is it stimulates these periods of naturally not feeling hungry and not not needing to eat. Hmm. So there you go. And we'll let you know when uh, when the new IDM fasting podcast comes out. The information will still be there from Dr. Fung and Megan Ramos. So uh, stay tuned for that. So let's get into today's kind of headlines before we get to today's questions. Uh, this one here was kind of interesting. Obesity and inactivity could outpace smoking in cancer death risk. And so it's a a whole story that talks about how obesity-related diseases, um, I'm assuming that's what they're referring to, uh, could actually overtake any other form of of cancer, uh, and especially the ones that are most common, such as um, smoking. Um, It's interesting how these kind of things get out there. uh, And I wonder if it's the obesity itself, Adam, and you are an obesity medicine specialist, uh, or is it the related diseases that come with the obesity? I always hate these kind of headlines that blame uh, deaths and things specifically on obesity. How is obesity causing these and why is it not the related diseases? Well, and it's a really good question. And this article is is very, I hate to say it, but it's very poorly written. Um, and, and it's poorly <laughs> written because there, there are literally three or four different um, aspects of innuendo uh, about disease a, a, in the way this was written. It, they basically say obesity and, and inactivity could someday account for you know, more cancer deaths than smoking. Yeah. The problem is that they're, they're, they're linking obesity and inactivity. And they're basically saying that, well, because you're inactive, you're obese. And so they're blaming it on a life. They're blaming a lifestyle choice on obesity and then they're saying well that's the cause of your cancer and and you and you can't 
you can't just spam that as causal, and that's the and that's the opening headline statement, which is very poorly written. Um, we know that inactivity plays a role with uh, caloric in, uh, consumption and burning calories, but inactivity is not the cause of obesity in in eighty five percent of the people that walk through my doors. So that that's. A, a, a very poorly written component to that. We do know, however, that when you are obese and you, you, you have excess fat, that what we refer to in the medical field as comorbid or conditions that arise because of the excess weight um, do happen. And there are a number of disease processes. And we know that cancer numbers go up as one of the components they talk about with this when obesity is not appropriately treated or when obesity continues. So we the, And that percentage has not been... F- truly um, delineated out very clearly. And so that's the, the article implies that we need to look at that more closely. We do. But in the process of saying that, they basically blamed obesity on the fact that we don't walk or climb stairs. Or it becomes a catch-all for this whole calorie hypothesis continuing. It totally does. And so I, I, I appreciate the, the point they're attempting to make that we're now seeing that there's an increased um, association of cancer with obesity. But you, you can't blame it on inactivity. And that's really what this article kind of does is it says, well, you're cancerous because you're inactive. And that's, that, that's a very poor uh, way to try to, to, to hype things. Again, it's shock effect from the, the writer. And oh, I, yeah. I see that that's the case. But, but it, 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 it puts an impression in people's minds and, and, and continues the personification of um, laziness with those that carry excess weight, which is absolutely incorrect and, and, and very poor. And from an, from an article that should be trying to diffuse that myth uh, this just this t- this type of writing uh, continues it and that's sad it's amazing we still deal with this i know uh, good calories bad calories when gary taubes came out with that in 2007 he was already saying then you know it's not really about exercise guys and yet we still are dealing with that here over a decade later you know it's really sad because people say well you know dr nelly i'm I'm not exercising so i can't lose weight and i'm saying you know that's not true if you look at the three largest studies that were ever done you know the mr fit trial the women's health international trial and the accord study all of which looked at um caloric restriction and exercise over a a period of up to 13 years with these three studies encompasses sixty-seven thousand people um these guys exercised their brains out and cut their calories down to 1,200, 1,800 calories a day yeah. and lost a whopping 1% of their body fat. That's 67,000 people over the three largest studies we've ever looked at with diet and exercise. And, and, you know, but nobody says, well, the three largest studies we've ever done have absolutely failed with showing that exercise helps us with weight loss. And, and again, this, this type of writing implies that, that those three studies are wrong. Uh, but that's not what we see in the actual science, and that's sad. We're going to have a real study here in a minute when we get to our featured study that actually looks at that very thing. So I'm excited to get to that here in a minute. But we have another headline to look at. This was kind of cool. Can folks with type 2 diabetes forego the finger stick? Self-monitoring of blood sugar had no effect on long-term glucose levels in those not taking insulin, according to new research. Many of these patients use the finger prick blood sugar monitor, but testing your blood sugar didn't have any impact on their blood sugar, according to the study author, Dr. Laura Young from North Carolina, University of North Carolina. The best way to control blood sugar is to take your medication the way your doctor asks you to and to take good care of yourself. The key is really taking the medications. <sighs> Adam, Adam. <laughs> We continue to ignore the elephant in the room and what is causing the blood sugar to go up. And they never recognize that. They just simply want to cover up the effects of it with medication. It it, it is a challenge. And this article is interesting. Um, It it basically says, take your pills. and, and, And then it says, well, take your pills, but do you really need to prick your finger? The challenge is this. If you, if, if you're taking diabetic medications, you really do need to know is your blood sugar going high or low. Yes. And I, I personally, in my practice, recommend that my, my patients that are under good control with their sugars only check it twice a week. But I do that because those two numbers uh, each week or twice a week, um, in com- and when I compare those to what the actual hemoglobin A1C test is, I can tell how high and low a person's going throughout that entire three-month window. So that actually gives me a lot of data. Um, if you're a person that's not on any medicine, um, knowing periodically where your fasting sugar is is helpful to some degree, but it doesn't really give us it, – it, it, it lets us see the trunk of the elephant but not the rest of the elephant, and that's – you're exactly right. Is it two random times during the week or do you have specified times that you tell your patients to test? 
I specifically want to know what their fasting blood sugar is first thing in the morning before they've had anything to eat. Um, because what, what happens is that tells me twice a week, how well did you recover from your meals? Mm-hmm. And, and I know meals, we know meals differ. So, so twice during the week, how well did you recover? And if I know they're recovering really well, then I know that, okay, their dinner meal is pretty good and they're recovering overnight and the amount of insulin they're producing is con- at least bringing the number down. Then the A1C tells me how well does your, uh, insulin after your meal control it by telling us what's your average height of your blood sugar. Uh, and that average is extrapolated because of that three-month indice with the hemoglobin A1C. And so knowing the average tells me how high they're spiking right. after meals and knowing how low they go twice a week gives me the low point on an average. And so between those two numbers, I can, I can really get a gauge as to how well are they doing with both diet and with medicine in that regard. So that, it, that for somebody who's using a medicine, it really is helpful. For one, someone who's not, I don't necessarily need to see that all the time. So you do two fasted morning readings, uh, but I wonder if you might get some misinformation because of that whole glucose sparing thing that we talk about quite a bit with some people having higher levels of blood sugar in the morning. Would it not be beneficial to maybe test later in the day with those patients? Well, I don't have to because that's what the A1C tells me. Ah, the A1C would be the Because I'll see patients... It really is. And so what happens is people come and say, Dr. Nally, my blood sugars are 120 every single morning and I'm freaked out. And then I say, well, what's your A1C? And they go, well, I've been following your diet and my A1C is 4.9. Whoa. And I say, whoa, <laughs> okay. Your A1C you're is good. actually, you're great. And what that means is that overnight you're having this spike because of either um, glucose sparing or or if they're if they're on a medicine that's lowering them too low, the next question is, are you having hypoglycemic episodes? They'll say, yeah, I get sweaty in the middle of the night. Well, they're actually bottoming out overnight and they're, they're having a Shimoji or the dawn effect the next morning. Mm-hmm. And so I can th- those two numbers give me a great deal of data if I just ask a couple questions about what they're eating and what their diet's been. And so it's, it, it does help in that regard. You said shimoji. I haven't heard that one in many years. I've heard the dawn phenomenon, but shimoji, shimoji. Sounds See, like that's, Jumanji. That's, <laughs> that's the really cool Japanese guy that discovered it and, and got his name published over it. Yeah, so. Shimoji. Look it up, guys. Don't ask me how to spell it. <laughs> So the next uh, headline is very encouraging. Israel bans Heinz ketchup because it's linked to liver, pancreas, immune system, and brain issues. The food industry only allows it to be sold as tomato seasoning, not tomato ketchup, triggered by a series of tests conducted by an Israeli food company also selling ketchup. The tests revealed that although Heinz boasts over 60% tomato as an ingredient, there was only 21% tomato concentrate in each bottle. And so it goes on and on talking about uh, the very high sugar content of these ketchups as much as uh, was it four to 17 grams of sugar in each uh, corn syrup, primarily fructose, uh, in the, in ketchup? A lot of people don't realize that there's extraordinarily high levels of sugar in ketchup, but it's good to see now that they're, they're taking it seriously there in Israel. Oh, this is really exciting. In fact, I, I read this article to my wife this morning, and we had a bottle of – we have a really old bottle of ketchup that hasn't – that's been there for years. It doesn't have um, any mold on it because it's it, – No, and the reason the is because it – yeah, it's because of the sugar. So we pulled it out and we actually compared it. And the fourth ingredient is high fructose corn syrup in Heinz tomato mm-hmm. ketchup. And the fifth ingredient is is um, corn syrup. So yes. not only is, is it high fructose, then they have regular corn syrup in there. <laughs> I, it's like, oh, my gosh. And so it, huge amounts of sugar in that in that ketchup. You know, it's interesting. In Europe, uh, when Christine and I went to the UK a couple of years ago, they actually use real sugar in there. So kudos to them at least putting real sugar and not this fake high fructose corn syrup in there. But still, it's it's kind of an eye-opener that people are starting to realize the sugar content in ketchup and that it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> make your That's own. A, yeah, make your own. Make your own. And then the last headline before we get to the questions today, Kiwi farmers claim creation of low-carb potatoes. Uh Uh-oh. Potatoes are such an integral part of the kiwi diet. That's New Zealand for the rest of you who don't know what kiwi means. Uh, Whether mashed up or sliced into chips, there's always been a very distinct issue with them. They're not particularly healthy. But now some New Zealand farmers have invented a new potato that they claim, Adam, has 40% less carbs. Guess what they've called it? The low-tato. 
as in low carb potato, low tato. And, uh, they're created, created by a crossbreeding of other varieties. Initially, these potatoes were bred by their parents for the fact that they were flavorsome, they were good looking and appealing. And as a natural result, it ended up as a lower carb, low calorie potato. Would this be something you'd add to your diet? Well, I was quite curious, but they never actually gave any data on how much lower in carb it is. That's right. he, they kept saying it, but it looks like a real potato. And from the texture, I, I thought, wow, that actually looks kind of cool. But the question is, how much lower is it actually? Is it like lower like a sweet potato or is it lower like a, you know, um, a, a, a daikon, which they, you can right. find in Japan, which daikon is a different is type awesome, of a radish? Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's the part I couldn't find out. So I still am curious. If somebody knows what the actual carb content per serving of a low tato is, I would actually be curious to see it. We've I don't got know if you some know New or not, Zealand just... listeners. We'll ask them to chime in, and uh, I'll, I'll hear from them, and we'll, we'll uh, report back next week if we hear from them. And, and I'm sure that if someone wants to fly Jimmy and I over to test <laughs> Lotato to New Zealand and spend a weekend there just testing it, we'd love to do that. Oh, I'd love to come back to Auckland or Christchurch or any of the beautiful <laughs> places in New Zealand and go see the, uh, where they, where they filmed the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. That'd be good. Oh yeah, and we and we I would I would I would suffer. I would let myself be inflicted to a lotato test if I we did were there. Yes. And we would be live on location recording keto talk. I promise you on that one. <laughs> yes, we would. <laughs> Make it happen, Kiwis. Make it happen. Special thank you to Gold Rush Barbecue. Somebody gave us a donation, and their company is called Gold Rush Barbecue. So I was like, that's cool. That's cool. Sharon, Radhouse Films, Angelique, EA, Anna from Sweden, Angelo, Susan, Max, Cosmopolitan, who said they want to do a sustainable farming podcast. Well, go for it. Do it. Uh, Tamra, Hayden, Rachel. Rachel says, love your books and podcasts. Love Doc Muscles. I've been low-carb keto for two years now, and I've managed to get three others on the bandwagon. I owe it all to you. Catherine, Mandy from Fat Fueled Health, Tammy, Johnson, Yvonne, Lisa, Jojo, Roger, Catherine, SM, Johanna, and Esma, who gave us a question, which we'll address here in a second. So thank you guys so much for all those wonderful donations that have come in over the past week. And if you'd like to donate to the show, you can go to paypal.me slash ketotalk to make a donation of any amount. You can also go to ketotalk.com and click on the donate button. That really helps keep us on the air. Yes, thank you. And we are encouraging people, if they if they want to hear a second show every now and then during the week, we're encouraging people, you know, you, if you give, we'll be able to do more of this. So uh, that definitely helps us out. So thanks, guys. But let's get to Esma's question because uh, she had a really interesting one that she uh, sent in with her donations. She said, Dear Jimmy and Doc Nally, thank you for doing what you do. My life has changed thanks to this podcast. I have a quick question for you guys. I recently got my pathway genomics results and the report said that my genes would benefit from a low-fat, higher-carb diet. I've been keto for a year. I was shocked to see this. The report suggested that my fats should be comprised of 20 to 25% of my diet, protein 20 to 25%, and carbs 50 to 55%. I shuddered when I read this. It also said my body can process monounsaturated fats better than the animal fats. So what gives? Do my genes just not lend themselves to a keto diet? All the best, Esma. So Esma has one of those newfound uh, uh, genetic tests that are out there, Adam. And so she wants to know, is genetic testing that claims that uh, she needs to eat a low-fat, higher-carb diet valid if she's already enjoying and finding benefit in the ketogenic diet? Well, this is what happens when you take your genetic test and you run it through a cheese grater. It looks like cheese. Um, well, what does that it, mean? <laughs> <laughs> if you happen to notice those values, those those are actually the RDAs for for from the USDA recommendations or the oh, the food that's pyramid. Right. Those are those are our food plate, I should say. Those are food plate recommendations. So basically, what happens is if they see any inflammation marker show up slightly on your genetic test, you get stamped with a food plate. And this is, this is what you should do because, you, you know, it's going to lower your inflammation. And that's what ends up happening as you see this um, because it's just being basically you're, you're, you know, you're trying to stick a round peg in a square hole and it doesn't always work. But that's all they can recommend. They, that's the only recommendation they can make. Um, 
it, it may show up that it says, oh, you can process monosaturated fats better than animal fats. That doesn't actually mean that you, you can't process animal fats. It just means that you may actually have two genetic encoding genes that process monosaturated fats and one that does animal. But as long as you're doing well with the ketogenic diet and you're actually feeling great and doing well and your cholesterol is normal, you know, it, 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 I would not push your genetic test back through a cheese grater. It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's unhelpful. And, and this is the danger in a lot of these new tests that are coming out. There's a lot of really cool technologies coming out looking at the genome. Um, and I, I'm not familiar with pathway genomics, but I do know some other ones that are out there that do genuinely look at, at specific genetic markers um, and would recommend a, a higher fat, lower carb diet if it found that there was uh, benefit to you. Uh, I don't know how all those things work, but I would just say, say buyer beware, Esma, that you're going to see a lot of these companies pop up. And, and I guess, Adam, it's just uh, when you have so much information available, sometimes it's paralysis by over-analysis. Well, it is. And then what ends up happening is we have all this information and then all of a sudden they say, well, what do I do with this information? And the only fallback that we have any any data on at all is a low-fat diet that that you know that says oh well this is what we can you know, we should do uh, that I should say any data that's generally accepted across the country or the world right. and so what happens is people say well we know that if you eat a low fat or a mediterranean diet you'll see some of these benefits so that's the recommendation that's that's basically spammed into your into your file um the question is 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 that really what you need or not and um and and, and that's the hard part that Unless a doctor interprets your test and it specifically says this marker does this, and so this is the type of diet you should follow, um, it, 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 I would I'd, I would think twice about the recommendations on there. Yeah. Well, Esma, thank you for that question, and we're going to pause here for a quick sponsor. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an online store that would have all your ketogenic products in one place? Then let me introduce you to OneStopKeto.com. Once you get there, you'll see personally selected products by me, and they do have the largest selection of keto-friendly products. There are no membership fees, and you'll get free shipping on all orders over $99. Use the coupon code KETOTALK for an additional special discount for listeners of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. They ship to the U.S. and Canada, and they have five-star amazing customer service. If you have any questions and looking for specific products, they are there for you. So head on over to OneStopKeto.com. If you love great olive oil, do I have a deal for you? As one of my listeners, you're entitled to receive for $1, listen to this, for just $1, a $39 bottle of one of the world's finest artisanal olive oils. And what makes this oil really special? It was just fresh pressed at the new harvest, so it's bursting with more harvest fresh flavor than any olive oil you've ever tasted. It's yours for just one buck to help cover shipping as your introduction to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And there's no obligation to buy anything now or ever. But what exactly is fresh pressed olive oil? And why is it so much more flavorful than store-bought olive oil? The problem with store-bought olive oils is that they can sit on store shelves for months, even years, growing stale or even rancid. The olive, after all, is a fruit. And olive oil is similar to a fruit juice in that it's much more flavorful when fresh pressed. And that's what's unique about oils from my friends at the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. They rush their oil direct to your door by plane and special delivery truck straight from the latest harvest. This means that you, your family, and lucky guests can enjoy top-of-the-line artisanal olive oils at their peak of harvest-fresh flavor and nutritional value. This is great news for us low-carb lovers because pure, fresh-pressed olive oil has zero carbs. Zero carbs! It adds whole layers of amazing flavor to your favorite low-carb dishes, your roasted vegetables, healthy salads, grilled meats, delicate fish, toasted nuts. Oh, yeah. I can tell you from personal experience, once you try this fresh-pressed olive oil, you'll never go back to store-bought again. Try it yourself and see. For your 39 bottle for a buck, go to JimmyOliveOil.com. That's JimmyOliveOil.com. One more time. JimmyOliveOil.com. 
We're back here with Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. My name is Jimmy Moore, the international best-selling author of The Ketogenic Cookbook and Keto Clarity, and the soon-to-be-released The Keto Cure with my good buddy, my pal, Dr. Adam Nally. So Adam's here. We're going to dissect a study now, Adam. I know you love this part of the show. Oh, yes. I always love this part of the show. And this one was actually submitted to me by uh, a medical doctor, Dr. Dallas Peak. He's a regular listener. And in the uh, in the study itself, he was taken aback by the use of a phrase that I've heard many years now uh, because we've attended all these obesity conferences and heard all these low-carb researchers for many years use this. But he was taken aback by the phrase benign dietary ketosis as a way to uh, describe nutritional ketosis. He had never heard that before. I said, oh yeah, they, they've they been using that for years. Uh, Steve Finney and Jeff Bullock and, and different ones have been out there using that so that you can distinguish it from uh, diabetic ketoacidosis. Um, but you were very well familiar with that one, right? Oh, of course. Well, and, and it's funny because you have to put the word benign on it to make doctors <laughs> downplay their fear of when you hear the word ketosis. They yeah. go, <gasps> and so you have to, if you put benign on it, they go, oh, their brain goes, oh, it must be okay. And, and then the and dietary aspect of it too, yeah. saying, well, it wasn't induced by by anything uh, internally. It's it's all about manipulation of the diet. So yeah, I love that phrase, benign dietary ketosis BDK. But let me get to the abstract. A worsening of the diabetes and its precursor metabolic syndrome is engulfing America. A healthy individual with proper glucose regulation has an ability to switch between burning fat and carbohydrates. It's been suggested that signaling errors within this homeostatic system characterized by impaired switching of substrate oxidation from glucose to fat in response to insulin can contribute to the etiology of metabolic syndrome and occurs before the development of type 2 diabetes. So all of that gobbledygook to get to this. They did a comparison with a group of 30 adults previously diagnosed with metabolic syndrome uh, by their primary uh, care physician. They were randomly prescribed to one of three groups. So remember earlier we talked about the exercise element. So the ketogenic diet group had no exercise. Then they had a standard American diet group, SAD, with no exercise, and then a SAD group with three to five days per week of exercise, 30 minutes. The results demonstrated that the change over time from week zero to week 10, it was a 10-week study, was significant in the ketogenic group for weight, body fat percentage, BMI, A1C level, and of course, ketones. All variables for the ketogenic group outperformed those of the exercise and non-exercise groups with five of the seven demonstrating statistical significance. This was published in Diabetes India and looks like March this year from Madeline Gibas and Kelly Gibas. So this was a really great study. What'd you think about it? Oh, I was, I, I was really excited. I saw, I hadn't read this yet and I saw it and went, Oh, this is really cool. And then I realized it was published in Diabetes India. That's why I never saw it. <laughs> it's like you hid it away in some, you know, in a foreign country's I diabetes know. articles. It's like, that's, that's terrible. Um, but I, it's actually really exciting. And the amazing thing is this is what I've seen for literally over 11 years in my practice is yes. exactly these, these outcomes where you see improvement in weight and body fat and BMI and A1C and triglycerides and rest, even me- resting metabolic rate decreased or uh, increased in the diabetic or in the, uh, ketogenic folks and in those that were not ketogenic it actually decreased um the ketone levels they measured which were appropriate and so really really fairly very good study for 30 people and uh the parameters they put were actually quite good i was really excited to see it and uh the researchers i don't know if they're sisters uh madeline gibas and kelly gibas but they're out of bethel university in minnesota i may try to track them down to do a interview on the Live and La Vida Low Carb Show, because that was uh, that was really good. And the fact that they knew about benign uh, dietary ketosis, that was that was just really, really well done. I wonder if we know them. We just don't know them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, well, I, I'd be that, that I would be curious to see how they how how that I mean, I, I was excited by the fact that it, it appears in their in their um, introduction that seeing a lot of the parameters outlined by uh, Feynman uh, in his research yes. and his um, um, 
comparative studies that he brought together showed that, you know, there are five or six really profound things that happen when you use car- carbohydrate restriction as a treatment for diabetes and weight. And he outlined those, and they actually outlined those in the introduction, saying this is the reason we thought we'd compare this. And uh, really, really good. It's a fantastic study, and, and it literally hits spot on with what I see every day in my office. And Feynman was also the one that did the study that looked at all the things that a ketogenic diet helps with and all the symptoms of metabolic syndrome, and they lined up just perfectly. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, really did. Well, thank you, Dr. Peak, for sharing that with us. Uh, we, we finally stumped the doc because the doc stays on top of all this stuff, but uh, I'm glad we found a study that you had not seen yet, Adam. So. <laughs> now I got to start reading Diabetes India, I know, too. right? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get to today's featured questions. And the first one is from Sarah. Hey, Jimmy and the doc, I went gluten-free years ago and paleo was the next natural step. I've had autoimmune issues my whole life. My doctors couldn't figure it out. One of them once told me, we usually only see these symptoms in overweight people, but overweight I am not. When first going paleo, I made a drastic mistake without knowing it. The paleo crowd was all about the bananas and potatoes back then, so that's what I did too. Even though I'm not a big fan of either of these, they were the least offensive carbs and it seemed to help me. A few months ago, I decided to go with a ketogenic approach, doing it the correct way this time. I still have fruit in the house for my kids, but I never touch it. I never had the low-carb flu and within a week was sleeping like a rock for the first time in years, despite living the stressful life of being a single mom. Joint pain did not flare up as much, and my migraines are not showing up as often. So my question for you guys is this. I've been, uh, I have always been plagued with Raynaud's syndrome. It lasts all year long, not just in the winter. Winter, I've noticed that since I do not feel hungry on a regular basis, it is easy to go many hours without food. That's what we were talking about earlier. While out running errands without noticing how long it's been, my Raynaud's then rears its ugly head and I feel it. I'm not sure if it's going uh, too long on an empty stomach or something else happening, but the Raynaud's is the only thing that has gotten worse since I started eating keto. Do you know why this is happening? I am already taking a magnesium supplement to help. Even if you guys have no solution for me, I will just suck it up, buttercup, I love that, and deal with it as I have in the past because the benefits I am getting from nutritional ketosis far outweigh the cold hands and feet that I have always had to deal with anyway. Listening to Keto Talk, it's clear to me you guys have a goal of helping people and getting correct information out there. I'm so glad I found your podcast. Thank you both for your time and effort and keep up the great work, Sarah. So Sarah's uh, got a great question here. Why did her symptoms of Raynaud syndrome seem to get worse when she started on a ketogenic diet? Oh, this is an exciting question. And it all goes back to hormones. And this is why I, 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 I pounce on hormones all the time. Why are we not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't. Yeah, the, the, I, Sarah actually made me go back and pull out my textbooks. Um, oh, it was good. actually because because she gave some symptoms that I had never heard before. Nice, but it it lined up so smoothly that I was, I went, oh my gosh, I never even thought about this. So thank one you, of the Sarah. things we have to yes, thank you, Sarah. It, it actually you got my brain working. Um, it, one of the things bacon. about yeah, I, well. <laughs> I had my bacon this morning with my eggs, and I think that's why I was so excited by it. Um, Renaud's is a, uh, a a problem where they they have um, uh, what appears to be upregulation of receptors in the peripheral or the tissues in the hands and fingers um, that are they have more receptors essentially uh, to make it simple than the average person does, and so when a uh, catecholamine-like stimulus, and this is a like a, a epinephrine. When it stimulates their 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 blood vessels to constrict, they super constrict. And so what happens is if they get exposed to cold, they'll, their fingers will literally turn white, and it's extremely painful. Um, I had a I had a, a nurse in my office that had Renaud's for a while, and Doctor Nelly keeps the temperature cool in in the office because I run back and forth, and I don't want to. Did she have know, a heater uh, underneath her and, desk? Well, she has. To, she had to actually wear gloves in the in the office to keep her hands from from uh, becoming painful. Wow. And uh, so it, it's very real. Now it's really interesting because what happens is that there are two specific. 
neurohormones that stimulate this vasoconstriction in the blood vessels. And one is neuropeptide Y and the other one is somatostatin. Now, the interesting thing is, is that as soon as you start getting hungry, the first hormone that kicks in and all the, the gastric surgeons that are going to be listening to this will know it's ghrelin. Ghrelin turns on. Ghrelin directly stimulates neuropeptide Y in the brain. So as soon as that hunger kicks in, neuropeptide turns on and it causes vasoconstriction in the fingers. The second issue is that is that of somatostatin. Now, somatostatin is an interesting hormone. It does what's called paracrine stimulating, meaning it stimulates cell to cell. And so when epinephrine is released at low levels, somatostatin is low. But as soon as epinephrine goes up a little bit because of stress, which would occur if you're getting more and more and more hungry, epinephrine bumps and somatostatin rises instead of going down. So if you get ghrelin kicking in with um, a stressful day because you didn't eat and all of a sudden the other hormones stimulate some epinephrine uh, because your body's starting to say, hey, I'm running out of fuel and, and you, you'll get a little bit of an epinephrine stimulus to, to cause gluconeogenesis to start in the liver, that turns on a higher level of somatostatin. So when ghrelin kicks in, epinephrine kicks in, it, it turns on neuropeptide Y and somatostatin and wham, you get a, a flare of Renaud syndrome. And that was actually enlightening to me as I read that and went, wow, who would ever think that these two hormones are playing a role um, even when she's not totally feeling really hungry yet, but yeah. she knows she's getting close. And so the key with, with this, if you're in a, doing a true ketogenic diet and you have Renaud's, is to probably have a little fat you can graze on every few, every few hours just to nibble and it's suppress that ghrelin effect so that you don't get that, that, that flare of those hormones. But it's all in the hormones. It really is. So does the somatostatin lower your cholesterol? No, it, it is not that kind of a statin. <laughs> as it's soon as you said that, of, I went, is that like simvastatin? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's one of it's one of the 30 more rare hormones that's produced by the pancreas and a couple other tissues in the body as well. But it's driven by the, the, uh, the, the cells in the pancreas and has a flux with um, glucagon. But we don't we don't ever hear about somatostatin because we don't fully understand how it's released in some cases we know mm -hmm. we know it's released in some ways but it has different effects on different tissues at different levels and that's what confuses everybody because it's not always the same so more fat uh from time to time uh, what about that at magnesium supplement is that helping her at all you know it it, it it may help with some of the muscle in the the uh, stabilizing the, the uh, contraction of the nerves, electrolytes, yeah. But in reality, what's happening is the, the vasoconstriction is being driven by a hormonal response. And that hormonal response is is probably from the cascade of the hunger signal getting a little stronger. And so if you know if she's going 12 hours and, and hasn't eaten anything, as soon as ghrelin says, hey, I'm starting to be hungry – um, it'll, it kicks up, that's going to turn that process on. So if she were to put like a little piece of string cheese in or sip on something throughout the day that's low carb, um, you, she may actually find that that ghrelin stays low and it doesn't cause that to kick those, those, that spasm to kick in. Um, but that, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see that that's happening. Um, but it tells us how powerful these hormones are and when they start to affect. So what voice does ghrelin have? I think Grelin sounds like Grover, but I've not had. Go really ahead, do a Grover. I, 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 Grover just doesn't work. For, no. Gro, my Grover ends up sounding like Kermit the Frog, so it's it, it's a it, 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 it's a being. Grelin, Grelin, that sounds like yeah. Lilo and Stitch. But it's, we'll move yeah, on. Thank you, yeah. Sarah, for that question. <laughs> and we're up to the second featured question of the day. This one's from CD. CD says, hey, Jimmy and the Doc, I recently found your podcast, and I've greatly enjoyed getting caught up on all the episodes. I have a question that might actually be a new one for you, as I haven't heard it discussed on your show before. I've been eating low-carb ketogenic with weekly cheat days, as Tim Ferriss outlines in his book, The 4-Hour Body. After about six months of doing this, I noticed I would wake up with very sore spots on my skin following the cheat day. It seemed to be concentrated on my torso and sometimes on my upper arms, neck, and scalp. This soreness was on the surface of the skin, not the muscles or joints. The best way I can describe it is it felt like a giant bruise that was only painful when you pressed on it. My skin would be so sensitive that I would skip running uh, or other exercise that day because the mere bouncing of my skin was too uncomfortable to bear. The surface area of skin that would be sore seemed to correlate positively with how much crappy garbage I splurged on the previous day. Interestingly, the first areas to become sore were the areas in which I tend to store fat, such as the love handles, 
and the soreness would radiate out from there. If I had a really obscene cheat day, then even my upper leg scan would get sore. Very surprisingly, this phenomenon did not go away when I went back to a high-carb standard American diet for a period of time. It seemed any time I indulged in something particularly sugary or carby, my skin got sore. This soreness would only subside after a day of eating low-carb keto again. So my questions for you guys is this. What could be causing this? Is it just a rapid onset generalized edema resulting from a significant increase in carbs? Why did it not begin occurring until a good six plus months into eating low carb and with the cheats and what I did or what did it persist or why did it persist after I went back on a high carb diet? Have I permanently altered my body uh, reaction to carbs by going low carb for so long? And finally, should I be concerned about this at all? While trying to find answers to these questions online, I saw this sore skin phenomena uh, mentioned by a couple of people on low carb diet forums who claimed that they never experienced this before going low carb, but none of these references included any explanations other than possible edema. Thanks so much for your help and your wonderful podcast, CD. So CD wants to know, why did I start experiencing very sore spots on my skin when I decided to cheat on my low carb ketogenic diet? And I want to interject one thing before you get to it, Adam. Why did you get off of the low-carb diet if you were finding great success and not having these issues? Why didn't you just stay on the low-carb ketogenic diet? <laughs> Duh. Oh, you know, life happens, and I understand that. Yeah. But it sounded like <laughs> and, she and, was, per- or he or she was purposely cheating once a week, a la Tim Ferriss's uh, four-hour body. He said to cheat, you know, once once a week. And so, but I was thinking, if you're having these issues and you find that you got relief by by not eating the carbs why would you keep doing it yeah well and i love tim ferris but when and when i try to follow the 4 hour body i end up looking like a 24 hour body so it's a whole different story there a 24 um, hour body what's that look <laughs> it, like it, it's, it's bad yeah you got you got to exercise 24 hours a day to get mm. past it um actually you feel you feel exactly what she's describing when you're really insulin resistant and you ch- do a cheat day um yes. we i used to i i started doing something like that thinking I could get away with it and immediately realized I felt horrible for 24 hours after I cheated. Um, Did you have sore spots on your body? (laughs) Well, you know, interestingly, yes. And I've had people come into me. Now, I'm an osteopath, so we use an examination technique um, looking for tender points or sore spots, and we refer to them as Chapman's points. A guy named Dr. Chapman actually identified these uh, areas of tenderness that correlate specifically with um, overactive neurogenic stimulation in the body. So there are certain points that that reflect uh, small intestine, large intestine, adrenals, thyroid, and those areas on the body when you actually feel over the skin, they'll feel sore and tender. And to the to the trained finger, you'll actually feel a fullness in that area that feels a little bit edematous. Are they red? We call them Chapman. No, you there's no 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 redness, and you won't even know they're there unless you push over the, that area. Oh wow! Um, they're actually it's it's one of the osteopathic techniques that I was trained in school, and I still use today. Um, the interesting thing is, and I've not done any real specific uh, st- looking at it, but they seem to be similar uh, in correlation. Uh, just like the question with Renaud's we talked about a little earlier, the opposite hormones that drive this vasodilation is substance P. The vasoactive intestinal peptide, we call it VIP, calcitonin gene-related peptide and neurokinin A, when insulin turns on, those four or five hormones actually rise. And what happens is you get increased neurogenic activity in various parts of the body. And so you'll – and specifically in the intestinal region where she's describing, you, I will occasionally see elevation in, in Chapman's points or tender spots where I, I feel over the body there. Now, whether that how that correlates, I don't know, but I have seen that, and I and I my suspicion is it relates to the sudden bump in vasodilating hormones uh, that also cause the leg edema and the uh, exacerbation of varicose veins that I see in a lot of people that come back after Christmas and go, "Yeah, doctor, now I ate the Christmas cookies, and now my legs are swollen." Um, th- th- we'll see varying degrees of this arise, but anytime I cheat, like if I if we like we have an anniversary, if we have an anniversary and I eat I eat bad and I just decide to eat the cake um 
I will actually feel what, what uh, CD described is these tender spots and this achiness. And I really think that they're um, uh, neurologically related from increased neurogenic activity, um, telling us that you know, the intestines are overloaded and you know, these different organs are, are on overdrive trying to keep up with this sugar and the high insulin response from that. So, Mr. Chapman, he needs a theme song, doesn't he? I, if he's got a theme song, I'll be impressed. Love me tender. Love me true. Because <laughs> it's tender spots. Get it? Let me, okay. Oh, that's... <laughs> that's a stretch, isn't it? <laughs> that was a big stretch. That was a big stretch. <laughs> Out of the perverted mind of Jimmy Moore. You're welcome. Thank you, CD, for that question. We're going to pause here for another sponsor. We'll be right back. Are you looking for high-quality supplements to complement your healthy, low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic lifestyle? Well, look no more as I've teamed up with ketogenic practitioner and my Keto Talk podcast co-host, Dr. Adam Nally, to create the Keto Living line of supplements. Go to ketoliving.com to see our first two items available for you, the Keto Essentials Multivitamin and the Berberine Plus Blood Sugar Control Formula. Dr. Nally himself hand-selected the key nutrients included in the Keto Essentials multivitamin, including vitamin D, methylated folate for those with the MTHFR gene mutation, vitamin B12, CoQ10, and so much more. And if you are concerned about elevated blood sugar and cholesterol levels, then check out our customized product called Berberine Plus, which combines the anti-inflammatory power of berberine with therapeutic levels of chromium and banaba leaf. And we're just getting started on the Keto Living brand of ketogenic focused supplements in 2017, including the first ever high fat meal replacement powder to help you ditch those problematic protein powders coming soon. Go to ketoliving.com to get your hands on these exciting new supplements to enhance your ketogenic diet. Ketoliving.com. Have you tried Keto Fuel? Go to shopketoshake.com to learn more about Keto Fuel. It's one of the most exciting products to come out in the ketogenic world in a long time. It is a truly low-carb, high-fat shake that does not overload your body with excessive protein that would kick you out of nutritional ketosis. And the taste is outstanding. Reminds me somewhat of a sweetened almond milk. I've mixed it with water with ice cubes in a shaker, but also blended with heavy cream for a luscious milkshake that tastes like a milkshake, but it's healthy. I'm so glad Keto Fuel was created, and I think you're going to love it too. Once again, visit shopketoshake.com to get more information and to place your order for the Keto Fuel. Shopketoshake.com. We're back here with Keto Talk, and we are answering your questions all about low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat, ketogenic diets, and uh, we're here. I'm Jimmy Moore. That's Adam Nally. And we're here answering your questions. We're up to the third featured question now, Adam. And this one's from Stephanie. And I love how she calls us Dear Keto Talk Hosts. <laughs> I think that's the first person that's ever called us Dear Keto Talk Hosts, not Dear Jimmy we, and Adam, we, Dear Jimmy. We've never Talk been Muscles. called that. Yeah, Dear never Keto Talk that. Hosts. So formal. Uh, I'm a 62-year-old female. I've been moving to keto through the usual progression. It started 20 years ago trying to eat local and real food, then on to the Weston A. Price Foundation, then paleo, and now low-carb, ketogenic, consuming 20 to 40 grams of carbohydrates daily. Most of my carbs come from salad, kefir, cheese, and kombucha. My blood sugars have been coming down, but I am still in the high 90s for fasting blood sugar in the morning. I've only seen 0.5 once on the blood ketone meter. I'm trying to figure out what might be preventing ketosis for me, and I have a couple of suspects. Because I have the MTHFR gene mutation, uh, my doctor has me on 1,000 mcg of L-methylfolate, and adenosyl hydroxy B12. I hope I didn't slaughter that too well. Adenosyl, is that how you say that? It's adenosyl hydroxy. Yeah, it's a it's a B12 kind of combination. Got it. Um, herbal product. Yep. 
I am also taking 10 milligrams daily of Adderall. Would any of these be having an adverse effect on getting into ketosis? And does ketosis have any positive effect on improving adult ADHD? I'd really love to get off that medication if at all possible. Thanks for your insights. You can provide Stephanie. So Stephanie has some theories as to why she's having trouble getting into ketosis. Can Adderall be having an adverse effect on getting into ketosis? And does keto do anything to help improve adult ADHD? I want to interject one thing that I think might be uh, contributing to her having trouble getting into ketosis. It's the kombucha, Stephanie. Uh, maybe cutting that out for a period of time, uh, m- you may see your ketone levels go up. Now, I don't know about the Adderall. We're going to ask the doc here about that here now. But would you concur that the kombucha is probably the biggest culprit that we see in the diet that she shared? Oh, when she said kombucha, it was like driving into Las Vegas Strip. It was like flashing at me going, hey, I was just there. (laughs) (laughs) So I know what that means. (laughs) Yeah, the giant billboard signs with all the, you know, the the lights. Yeah, I... I have had a number of people that have, have halted and popped out of ketosis with the kombucha because, as I understand it, uh, not all kombucha is made equal, and a lot right. of it, some of it has more sugar than others. And then one of the things I noticed, oh, I just found out a couple of weeks, actually last week, is that um, a number of the leaf-based teas, specifically the black teas and the um, oolong teas, which are the, the Asian uh, tea, and even in some cases green tea. Uh, actually has a direct insulin stimulus uh, as well that and, and it seems to vary with people really? um so yeah i is was is it the I, caffeine the, what is it no it's the it's the, it's a derivative of the um tannate in the leaf and i'm i i've got to go back and look at the article there was an article in the early 80s that talked about insulin going up and recommending using tea to control blood sugar if you weren't on any medicines because it actually stimulated an insulin response wow and i went Oh my gosh. So, uh, and I've had a couple patients that have actually had a notable suppression in their ketosis when they use the teas. And I, and I thought initially it was the caffeine, but what from this, this article, there's a couple of them, um, it actually shows that it's, it's actually the leaf based tea itself that may be causing an insulin response. So if there's a, <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. So the first flag is kombucha, and then the second would be if there's any specific black tea right. uh, or, or oolong tea. I'd be careful with those. So what about this Adderall? What, what, oh, could that, that yeah. be having an adverse effect on ketosis? Actually, I, I would see the opposite. Um, Adderall really? is a yeah. Adderall is a stimulant, and Adderall will actually activate just uh, just like um, some of our, our uh, medicines we use for appetite suppression, phentermine. It actually stimulates the the cyclic GMP pathway of the fat cell and allows more fat release from the fat cell to some degree. It's not huge, right. but what I see is it actually is beneficial um, for a lot of my patients who actually are on a ketogenic diet um, w- because they're using Adderall concomitantly for their ADHD. Actually see a, a more improved weight loss and uh, and also a more improved ketosis level um, to, to some degree uh, with, with the Adderall. And it varies again genetically, but that's, I would, I don't think it's the Adderall. And she mentioned methylated folate, which I know that's one of the things that we've put in our Keto Essentials uh, vitamin at KetoLiving.com if people are interested. But uh, we put that one in the Keto Essentials vitamin, uh, so I wouldn't think that that would be contraindicative to uh, no, ketosis not at all. either. No, sixty percent of the people that I see in my my office clinically seem to have um, uh, some degree of deficiency with that MTHFR variant, and that's why I am such a big proponent uh, recommend recommending it. Um, so that 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 actually helps. Uh, so it's not that either. And then finally, what about this adult ADHD? I would think with all we know about the brain effects of ketosis, that it couldn't be anything but a good thing. You know, there are studies out that are starting to, to do um, that. And I, I've got to go back and look and see what I can't remember where it was at. I think there is one specific study showing improvement in cognitive function and focus with uh, a ketosis and ADHD. I know that in my office, um, my, I, I've had multiple patients, including my son, Michael, who has had dramatic improvement with uh, being in ketosis and his symptoms to the point where many of these people have been able to stop their medications and the and the ketosis itself seems to really allow them to stay focused without the medication. I seem to see those numbers the most effective when their ketone levels are above 1.0. Um, and so so when their ketones are above that, they seem to have the best focus. Uh, but that's that's one of the things I get 
again, I've seen anecdotally and clinically in the office. Um, there, there I, if I recall correctly, there are some um, studies currently underway about with using ketone salts to see if those help. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I don't know the outcomes of those, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing those as well. Um, but it, uh, ketosis does help ADHD notably. Awesome. Well, Stephanie, thank you for your questions, and we're up to the Keto Talk mailbox. And this one's from Andrew in Canada. Hey, Jimmy and the Doc, I listen to your Keto Talk podcast all the time. I've been doing keto for nearly two months. I'm six foot seven and weigh 220 pounds, 16% body fat. I started keto for all the health benefits, energy, and disease prevention it provides. I eat about 100 grams of protein, less than 20 grams of carbohydrates, and 200 grams of fat. This all seems right to me, and I'm being very strict with it. I get lots of sleep. I'm not stressed. I've experimented with exercising a little and not doing any exercise. There's just one problem. I just can't stay in ketosis. I bought a blood ketone monitor, and the highest reading I have seen is 1.2 for a very short two-day period, and most of the time, I'm less than 0.5. Every morning I wake up, I'm 0.2, and then it'll rise to 0.6 midday. Once in a while, I get to 0.8 in the evening. Sometimes it goes the other way and drop back down to 0.3. I eat bacon and eggs in the morning with coffee, MCT oil, full-fat whipping cream, as well as a high-fat meat and cheese or cream cheese for lunch and supper. The frustrating thing for me is my wife is getting 2.5 to 3.5 on the ketone meter, eating the exact same thing I am. Help. I hope you have an idea why I can't stay in ketosis. Thanks so much, Andrew in Canada. So Andrew has a question. Why can't I stay in ketosis eating what seems to be a well-formulated, low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat ketogenic diet and the only thing i can think of is he's pretty darn fit coming into this adam and so perhaps as he's making ketones he's using them extraordinarily efficiently and maybe before he actually went officially keto he was probably using ketones uh you know pretty efficiently i don't know what his diet was like before he didn't say anything about how he feels or anything, but I'm assuming if he feels good and he's doing really well, perhaps as those ketones are being made, he's using them on a one-to-one basis so they don't really show up on the monitor. Yeah. I, Andrew, number one, is a tall drink of water for sure. Six, seven, and 220. <laughs> tall drink that's, of water. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, one. That's, that's, that's an Arizona term. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah to, 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 for guys six, seven in Arizona, you got to drink a tall drink of water to stay hydrated. That's the, that's the big issue. Um, but he's only got 60%, 16% body fat. So he's in great shape. Yes. Um, that's near elite athlete level. Yes. Uh, and so uh, number one, um, I, I, I have to assume that he's, he's been in partial ketosis in the past. Right. And so his body is already well using those ketones very effectively. So his body's not pushing the ketone level up. Number one, number two, um, the, the, there's nothing wrong with, with fluxing in and out of, of ketosis, uh, through part of the day, uh, because that's what his body feels like it needs to do. And it's, it doesn't look like he needs to lose weight. Right. And so, so the only reason we want to push the ketone level a little higher would be to see the weight loss. Um, what I suspect we're seeing is we're seeing somebody who's fairly well keto adapted who, uh, because of either his, his physical activity or his um, stress levels or whatever it may be, may be playing a role. I also suspect, you know, this, he's, he literally is describing what I experienced for the first few years of doing low carb when we started testing ketones mm-hmm. was exactly this issue. I was in half the day, only low, uh, low levels and then out the rest of the day. And it's because I'm so insulin resistant. Now, I suspect he may be also, and if we were to do serial insulin levels with him, we may see that he still is producing larger amounts of, of insulin in response to his proteins and or any any carbs he does take in. And it may take six to 12 months to see that that improve if that's an issue that he does deal with. He's but only two months in, so he's maybe he's still in, in the keto yeah. adaptation period too. May very well be. There's a, there's a lot of other parameters that I would need to see in regards to blood work and you know diet journals and those kind of things to see where he where he is today and versus where he was to, to kind of determine that. But it's a great it's a great point that you can you I have many people that are in in and out of ketosis throughout the day, but yet they still lose weight, they still feel great, they still get all the benefits of of a ketogenic diet. The issue is that their body doesn't necessarily have to have the ketone level very high, and they function very efficiently. 
I think this is one of the mistakes we make in the ketogenic community, thinking we have to go chasing ketones. Ketones is not the thing that we're trying to chase. It's a nice little byproduct of of what we're trying to accomplish here, but we're trying to accomplish lowering insulin levels, lowering inflammation levels. Those are the goals, and ketosis showing up on a meter, people think, okay, well, if 0.5 is good, 1.5 is better, 2.5 is even better than that, and I think that's the wrong way to look at this. Um, so stop chasing ketones, Andrew, is what I would say. So celebrate that your wife has really good ketones because that'll encourage her uh, to keep it up for whatever her reasons for doing ketosis. But it sounds like you're getting great benefits from this. Um, chin up, man, because it sounds like you're doing great. And then one other comment that just crosses my mind as I think about this, the one, the other person, the reason I discovered the black tea issue was for a question like this. The person came in and said, I'm doing all this and this is what I drink and he'd drink large amounts of black tea. And that black tea was actually kicking him out of ketosis in the morning he would, you know, and it would keep him from being in, in it. So that's something you might consider is, is there something in the drink that you're drinking? Because he didn't list that in his in his in his uh, notes, yeah. um, but but that could also be a, playing a role that's kind of popping in, in and out. But in general, keep up the great work because he's doing well and there's no problem with that. And this is a good reminder that anything in your diet, even, and we talked about this, I believe, on last week's episode where people, they'll drink zero calorie drinks thinking that they're benign and they're not going to cause any issues at all. And perhaps it's that very thing that's causing them to have issues. So look at everything you put in that pie hole, as I like to say, um, because it can matter. It, it can. It really does. Well, Andrew, thank you for that question. And we're up to the iTunes reviews portion of the show. And we have three really great ones here today. TMSLOF has this one. This podcast is full of so much important information about the ketogenic diet. So helpful as I begin my keto journey. Jimmy and Doc Nally are a great team with their knowledge and real life experiences. I'd love, I love to hear about all the great health benefits Doc shares, uh, what he's seen clinically. I look forward to learning something new with each podcast. Then we have Ash Bash, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That was an interesting. That's a great screen name. <laughs> <laughs> the information provided in these podcasts by Jimmy and Dr. Nally is mind-blowing, informative, and motivational. They answer many of the questions you have when you first uh, start keto in a way that is easily understandable. They provide ways to talk to your personal doctors about keto. It's refreshing to have people out there providing this information and research sources to people after being lied to about food and nutrition by organizations like the AHA, ADA, and the pharmaceutical companies for so long. Unlike those organizations, Jimmy and Dr. Nally actually want to help people and not keep them sick to make money. I'm a registered nurse. I'm blown away by keto. Save your life. Eat keto. Thanks, Ashley. So thank you, Ashley. And then I am BZ today. Love this podcast, ever-evolving information on keto, amazing life changer. I love listening to Jimmy and the Doc. They keep me motivated by providing scientific data and experiential situations to support my choice to keto. Thank you. So thank you guys for those great iTunes reviews. And if you'd like to leave us a review, head on over to iTunes, type in Keto, Jimmy Moore, Adam Nally. You will find the show and you can leave us your review. It really doesn't take a lot of time at all. And it helps us out. It helps uh, put a put a podcast on the map, so to speak, to let people see what it's all about. So that's it for episode 71 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, as well as our official Facebook page, 15,000 members and counting at ketotalkfb.com, where you can talk with your fellow ketonians. A lot of really smart people on there, Adam, uh, helping to answer questions all about ketosis. So uh, love that that's there. Oh, yeah. There's some amazing people on there. And you chime in from time to time. I don't know how you do it because you, you barely have time to, to do all that you do now. But you do sometimes peek in there. I try to stay in there quite a bit just to uh, uh, make them feel comfortable that somebody's in charge. And the, oh, yeah. The inmates aren't running the asylums. <laughs> well, it's fun. To, it's fun to peek in there from the, you know, from behind from behind the curtain and go, oh, oh, oh look at that. Oh, yeah. So it's a. Uh... A lot of fun. And you might even see the doc post like a bacon meme every once in a while. So look for that. You might. You might. <laughs> yes, you might. And as always, if you want to support the show, go to paypal.me slash ketotalk or ketotalk.com and click on the donate button. 
So until next Thursday, Doc, we'll see you then. See you then. You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, then head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Keto Talk. We'll see you again soon. Thank you.